Do you want to be the best role model for your kid? Sometimes this is hard to be a role model at work for your kid, showing them what hard work looks like and what it takes to be successful. Today, we talked to Adam Wren, an indie dad who's going through this very thing and experiencing success in his career while also being there as a dad. Let's get into it. Welcome, Daddios, to the Indie Dads Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Reese, a dad who's trying just like you. And this show is dedicated to the joys and challenges of fatherhood in Indiana and beyond. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Indie Dads Podcast. Because when it comes to being a dad, we're all in this together. All right, Adam, you, let's start with the basics, the background of how you became a dad. Oh, how, how technical do you want to get on that question? <laughs> I mean, you can the nitty gritty, but just like if there's any interesting tidbits or stories. Yeah. For, for a lot of us, it's a big shock and surprise when we first hear about it. Yeah. So actually, it, it's interesting timing here that we are, we are talking about that because I became a dad or found out that I was going to be a dad. Four years ago, this past Sunday. And I remember that because it was in the spring of 2018. And I had just run the Carmel Half Marathon here in suburban Indianapolis. And that right after the Carmel Half Marathon, my wife and I went on a, on a trip to Nashville for the weekend ahead of Easter weekend for the holiday weekend, just the two of us. And we'd been married about 10 years at that point without having had children by choice, just we're trying to enjoy life and get our feet on the ground financially and everything like that. And that Sunday we went out for dinner at a place called Butcher Town Hall the day after the half marathon. And later that night, uh, stopped at Kroger for a pregnancy test and found out in Nashville while, while we were on a trip that we were expecting and then drove back to Indianapolis that Monday. But I remember that because I, I ran the Carmel race again just this past Saturday and was was thinking back that that had happened four years ago. So became a dad. We we didn't find out the gender. We did not do a gender reveal party. So I guess that makes us like older millennials, elder millennials. And we found out in the hospital room that we were having a girl. And so we had thought it might be a boy, but we're surprised pleasantly. And so I became, I don't know how I feel about this phrase, but I became a girl dad first before we had our son a couple of years later. So that is how I became a dad, more or less. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I got, I got two girls, so definitely a girl dad. I get that a lot. Yeah. I can, can sing you all the lyrics of, of all the Frozen songs, of T Tangled by Disney, and also we're getting really into the Descendants over here. Disney's the Descendants, so... yeah. The, the, that soundtrack is bopped. Let me tell you that. We just got into Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Okay. It's actually got a lot of good songs in it. Um, cool. So you, you were by choice, the kind of waiting. Was it soon after you guys decided or was it still a little bit of a surprise? I was still a little bit of a surprise for sure. I mean, we, that was, it was always part of the plan, but um, I was a little bit more 
reluctant than my wife was at times, but we had, we had decided prior to that we would, we were ready to have kids and it was still a surprise. I just, I, I thought I wanted a little bit more time, but it, it happened and it's, it's been great. Yeah. Planning for it's never, never easy. You never really prepared, but yeah, it's kind of what I, I was more than the boat wanting to do what you did wait 10 years and then three months after we got married, we were pregnant with our first. And it's like, oh. wow. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So what's been the biggest surprise for you in your father that you weren't expecting? I'll just share one off the top of my head from recently, Michigan. So we took a spring trip up there because our kids love their grandparents. And also we have built-in childcare for a couple of date nights here and there. But one of the surprises is like vacations are so different and so much more work and than what you have when you do not have kids. And maybe that seems like pretty obvious to people listening, but I'm still adjusting four years into it. We haven't really taken a lot of kid-free vacations. And so like vacations are actually more work than just like working a 50 or 60 hour work week for me, like at, at work at Politico, where I work as a journalist. So that's a big surprise for sure. And also just the rhythms of a regular week. It used to be that you would look forward to until Friday when you would be able to relax for the weekend. But I'm like at my most exhausted by Sunday night after taking care of the kids all weekend long with my wife. And so like Monday, Monday in some ways is like the new Friday where the kids go back to childcare and you're able to get a little bit of, of work done and, and actually have a little bit of a slower pace. Yeah, it, it is interesting how work seems like a little bit of a break sometimes. You just yeah. Kinda, it's like, oh, there's no one to watch and make yeah. sure they're not going to hurt themselves, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, on the flip side of the same coin, I, I expected that early on work trips would be like the new vacations because I would be able to like, as I'm traveling for my work, be able to sleep like in a hotel without anybody waking me up early or anybody waking me up in the middle of the night. But as after I would say their first year, both of the kids first year, it was like really difficult. It's really difficult to leave them even for just a couple of nights at a time, which is really like the longest I travel or try to travel. So it's just really difficult to leave them and work trips. Like I just spend the whole time missing my kids and feeling guilty. And, and to be very frank and honest, that's, that's a surprise to me too. I expected to be happy to get away, but I just spend my whole time fretting about my kids. And, and maybe that says more about me, me than it does just the average dad. But yeah, so that's another surprise. And you, you're just like missing, even though it's hectic when you're at home and everything, you're like, well, what are they doing now? Like, or what are they learning or singing? Or you're like, what yeah. moments are you missing out on by being on the road or being away? It's just, yeah, it, it can be definitely hard. And like, I know when I had to go back to work for the first time after our first, it was just like, that was tough. Yeah. Just, just leaving them. And like, I, I like, I'm gone for eight hours and it's just like, I, it's just, it's a tough time. It's a tough time to just leave them and just yeah have almost like, yes, you get updates or like texts from, my, my wife would stay at home and she would send me stuff, but it's like, just not the same as being there, seeing every little bit. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping there's like a happy medium that will eventually reach where in two or three years the kids will be a little bit more independent and I hate to say this, but not not need me as much. And maybe that'll make it easier, but I don't know. Maybe it never gets easier. Maybe it just sort of the dynamic changes. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, th- I think as they do get a little bit more independent, like my oldest is only four, so she's starting to gain a little bit of independence, but she still is like you know, very involved and wants to ask a whole lot of questions. We're in the why phase, so yeah, you can get a lot of those questions. For sure. So you talked about like traveling for work and how has work, your career affected your fatherhood, you think? In the early days of, of, of new fatherhood for me, my ambition, professional ambition was like totally wiped out. I just wanted to be with my kids and I've always sort of had this professional competitive edge to me and that, that sort of got wiped out and I, I, sort of lost some of my ambition and just wanted to be with my kids all the time. And I'm sure some of that is just how nature works and how evolution has shaped us in our psyches as parents. But as time passed and they got a little older and I, and I realized sort of what the stakes were uh, as a new dad, I think my ambition not only came back, but is even more big than it was before I had kids because my success in some ways on a professional level is tied to their well-being and to their happiness to a certain extent from a financial perspective. And I think it's healthy for kids to see their parents not married to their work, but engaged in their work and happy in their work. I think that sets up a healthy relationship early on in life with, with work and and what it does for us and what it allows us to do. And so I think for me, it's made me more ambitious. Like I'm going to have two college bills to pay for. And we live in Indiana, which is great in terms of cost of living, but I want my kids to not be spoiled, but, but to also feel safe and taken care of. And so that's important to me. And so I would really say that on the whole, it's, it's increased my professional ambition. Yeah, that's. Definitely, it seems like you have that, that career path and you're something you've wanted to do. And yeah, and that like having that role model, being able to do what you want to do and you don't have to just have a job, you have a career. Yeah. Enjoy what you do. And it's not as much work. It's just like you're growing as a person and what you love to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's always been important to me, Ethan, it, to be able to be someone who is who has a, a calling, a vocation, and doesn't just have a job. I mean, I think I think there's room in a long career for both. I mean, there are going to be times in your life, particularly early on when you have a job. But for me, this is something that I've worked towards for a decade or more. And so I'm happy to be where I'm at and grateful. And I want to steward this opportunity in a way where my parent, where, where my children see me both connected to the work that I'm doing and, and, and passionate by it, but also connected to them. And I think the hardest challenge for me at this stage in life as a dad is to be 
where my feet are to, when I'm with my kids, putting them to bed at night to be, to be with them and not to be on Slack or Twitter engaging and, and, and work stuff, but to be with them. And then I also think it serves them when I'm at work to be, to be at work and to, to be engaged in what I'm doing, but to be very candid, that's, that's a difficult thing for me. And I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah. And in your field, I mean, news happens all the time. That's definitely a challenge. And I know it normally happens during the day, but stuff does happen at night that yeah. you want to be involved in. And like, that's, that's definitely, I don't envy yeah. that for you, for you at all. Yeah. I told, yeah. And, and to be fair, like I'm not necessarily like a breaking news reporter, <laughs> although, although there, there, there are people who do that, but there are times when I have to file a story quickly based mm -hmm. on events of the day. And it feels like having all the pressure of a doctor who's on call saving lives, but none of the stakes, like <laughs> I'm sort of like tied to my phone in a similar way. But the stakes aren't nearly, in most cases, in most cases, aren't nearly as high, as nearly as high as a doctor who's saving lives. There's there there are rare moments where there's important stories that people need to know about. But for the most part, you know, I'm a I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. And as the late David Carr, a former journalist for the New York Times, media columnist, used to say, like, journalism beats working. So. Uh, I don't mean to to make my job sound harder than it is, but it's it's certainly you know if you're competitive and driven, like it's there there are challenges of being present with your kids at the same time that you're trying to pursue a story, and and I'm still learning that, and I, it's not so much a problem to be solved, but a tension to be managed, and so that's something that I think about a lot. Yeah, it's almost a, a time management and. It's it's difficult. Yeah. That's a, that's something that I think a lot of a lot of us struggle with. There's no yeah. right or wrong answer, and everyone has a different situation. And it's yeah. just it, it's just a, a difficult task that we all deal with, especially with our phones. It's just it's just too easy to get distracted yeah. and hooked into something else without even realizing it. Yeah, I think by like nature, I'm a morning person, but the last few years of, of parenthood has destroyed that because it's just. It's difficult to get up at the same time after you've been awake for several hours in the middle of the night with, with a colicky or feverish child. And so I'm trying to get back to that where if I can get up early in the morning around 5 a.m. and get some work done and get some reading done before the kids are, are up, I think that's probably the best, best path for all of our health. So are you, are you from Indiana or originally or? No, I'm not from Indiana originally. I, I tell folks that I am a Buckeye by birth and a Hoosier by yeah, choice. That's better. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up in Ohio, Northwest Ohio, small town, about an hour Northwest of Columbus called Bell Fountain, home to the first concrete street in America and the shortest, the shortest paved street in America, according to our, according to the signs. That's what the signs say. I've not, I've not bothered to fact check that yet. But yeah, so I grew up there, came to Indiana on a partial soccer scholarship at Indiana Western University up in Marion, Indiana, and studied, studied politics and English and writing there and uh, edited the high school or edited the college newspaper and then wrote for a live sketch comedy show 
And, uh, and then after that, I worked briefly at a local newspaper. I worked actually in the Indiana Senate as a speechwriter, as a speechwriter and policy analyst, and learned a lot about politics and, and how state government worked. Before I went to journalism school at Northwestern University, where I got my master's. And so having that real life experience was really helpful before I started covering politics professionally as a writer. And then after getting my master's degree, I came back here with my wife to Carmel, Indiana, and have been based here ever since. So started out writing for the Indianapolis Monthly Magazine, great city regional magazine. There aren't too many of them left. I wrote, wrote for them for more than a decade, profiling people like Pete Buttigieg, Mike Pence, a number of other folks writing about sports, crime, uh, general general interest, and, and started writing for Politico in, in 2015, and uh, finally worked my way to being on staff there a year ago this month. That's awesome. That's definitely an interesting path. It seems like the scholarship you got led you to kind of be entrenched in Indiana. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there, there was a moment where I sort of had to choose between sort of like soccer, which was in many ways my first love and, and journalism editing, editing the, the college newspaper because both took up so much time. And after my sophomore year, I chose, chose journalism and became the editor in chief of, of the newspaper and worked at a local newspaper at the same time, the Chronicle Tribune and Marion covering general assignment stuff. And then worked at a local newspaper in the summer back in, in Ohio, a small town newspaper called the Kenton Times. And so, yeah, I mean, I still play soccer, still watch it. I'm a big fan, but it became less a part of my life as journalism sort of not replaced it, but, it, but definitely over, overtook it in some ways. So is there anything like besides just your career background that you just like about Indiana that you enjoy about being here? Yeah, I love Indiana in an unexpected way. I never expected to be here for the long for the long haul, but sort of just fell in love with it. Uh, I mean, it's it's a fascinating state, fascinating political history. It used to be a swing state. It used to be. It's aside from New York, it's produced more vice presidents than any other state in the union, and part of that is because we were a farm a farm state, a swing state, and so when when coastal politicians were at the top of the ticket. Indiana was a popular state for them to go to for a vice president and or state of contradictions. I mean, Marion, Indiana, where I went to undergrad to, to college, Marion, Indiana is the furthest state north of the Mason-Dixon line that was home to the last lynching of a black American. And this past century, I mean, not that long ago. And at the same time, we're a state that was and fought in the Civil War. And so we have a, a dark history politically in some chapters. The Ku Klux Klan essentially took over state, state government in the 20th century here. And, and yet there are, there are parts about our state that are, that are progressive too. And so it's a fascinating state of contradictions. And I, I think that's interesting. I love how Hoosiers love their traditions, the Andy 500, Bas high school basketball, Indiana University, the pride of Notre Dame, Purdue University. It's, it's a state that loves sports. And even like, I'm not to just to be, I'm not a, I'm a huge basketball fan, but like, I love to watch 
Indiana folks watch their teams play basketball because you can just feel the pride and and the passion and and that's fun to experience even secondhand. I uh, another surprise of just being here in Indiana is I always sort of look down on auto sports and racing. And then as a journalist, went to the Indy 500 for the first time in 2018 and was just taken by the whole experience and fell in love with it. I mean, the technology of the cars, the, the, the pomp and circumstance that happens before the race. And so in, in the most subtle of ways, one of the worst things that Indiana has ever done to me is to turn me. I became a Colts fan at like the tail end of my college experience, which was in 2006, 2007, when the Colts were really good and Peyton Manning was, was ascendant. And then going from that to where we've been like the last decade rudderless without a, a franchise quarterback has been brutal. And I particularly took to, to Andrew Luck. And for me, he represented so much of what I love about not only Indianapolis, but the Midwest. I mean, here was a guy who was not only a generational talent, but someone who like loved literature and reading and had a club for and was this goofy, intelligent, brilliant, charming guy. And I think he represented the best of what Indianapolis is and what Indiana can be. And then to lose him and then go through so many quarterbacks, it's just been brutal. I'd never expected to be a football fan. I was a Bengals fan growing up. Still, we'll root for Bengals after the Colts bow out of the playoffs or before the playoffs. But I love the Colts and the Pacers. And so Indiana can be a cruel mistress at times when it comes to, to our sports. Yeah, we don't, we don't win a lot of championships, but we're, we're, we're good usually. And yeah. That makes it, yeah. Makes it almost worse. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're good enough to almost do something, but not always win it. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are other figures uh, here in Indianapolis that I think just make it a really cool city to live in. Uh, talented James, James Beard, winning chefs here. The author, John Green, I think is so, so cool that he, that he lives here and, and loves to call Indianapolis home after not being from here. I like to joke that I once opened up for John Green. He was published in the same Indianapolis monthly issue that I was in. And my shorter story came just before his. And so I like to say I once opened up for him. But yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool town, I think, that it is, you can't even call it a hidden gem anymore because I think Indianapolis has, has an increasing national reputation as, as a cool place to be if you're a creative person in particular. And so certainly relish that status. And, and I'm proud to tell people that I'm, I'm from the Indianapolis area. Just a fun town and small town, even though it's just big city, it's a small town. It feels like that's what I love about it. Yeah. I always am disappointed. I'm always disappointed when I go to the airport, the Indianapolis International. I don't see somebody I know, which I think is a good, a good barometer for it being a big, small town. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, of course, like, of course I didn't see somebody I know, like this is a large city, but, but, but just the expectation that I might is is something I love to, to harbor. That definitely, definitely makes sense. So you got some young kids. What are you looking forward to most about like your family's future? Oh man, that's a great question. I guess watching, watching them in whatever extracurricular activities they choose to do. I'm, I hope they play soccer, but I will not, I will not force them to do that because 
I had my chance enjoying soccer. And so I'm not going to force them to let me live vicariously through, through them, but whatever they choose to do that makes them happy and makes them come alive. I'm looking forward to, to being part of that with them. I'm also looking forward. We haven't taken a, like a, a ton of, we actually haven't taken any like travel family vacations beyond like a state next door. So looking forward to like a, a spring break trip or summer trip somewhere where we fly smart again there when they're a little bit older. I'm, I'm looking forward to the same thing when it's a little easier to travel with them. That will be a lot better. Sure. For sure. We went, we went down to Florida when they were was it two and three, I want to say just barely two and three. That was a nice, that was a struggle for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> So what advice would, would you want to give to other dads? What say your um, best advice? I, I would actually prefer them to give me their best advice That's <laughs> what I would prefer. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that four years in that I have great advice to give. I'm still learning. And so, man, I don't know. I would say, I would say find. Find something that you enjoy doing that allows you to give your partner a break for them to sort of get replenished. So for me, it's, it's, it's running. And so we invested a small mortgage payment into a double jogging stroller that allows me to take both of our kids on a run, which not only gives me life, but also allows my wife to rest, recuperate, do something for herself. And, and, and not that, not to say that I'm a dad who needs to do that, but if you can find anything that you enjoy doing with your kids that gives your partner a break, I think that's a win-win for everybody. That's for sure. <laughs> Happy partner is going to make everything a lot, a lot easier when they can mm -hmm. be replenished. And even going back to what you said before, you're still learning. I think that right there is some great advice. Just never stop learning because every, every stage of life, your kids is going to be different. You got to learn the different quirks they go through, the different phases they go through and how to adjust to that. Yeah. Call me back and call me back in a decade and maybe I'll have some better advice. Maybe two decades, give me two decades and then I'll have some better advice. And I did have, I did have a sobering thought the other week. My daughter, my oldest is four years old. And I thought, man, we have like, we have like maybe like 14 good summers left with her. And that, that's sort of like clarifying, like 14, it's not a lot, like mm -hmm. 14, 14 good summers that we can make memories together. And so I want to make the most of those. Yeah. My wife reminded me of the same thing a few weeks ago. We were trying to plan out what we were going to do this summer. It's like, man, it goes by so fast. I do want to end on a, a fun question, though. Who would you say is your favorite TV or movie dad that you, that you like? Oh, man, that is a great question. I love that question. Well, okay. Uh, I, can I give you, can I give you like three answers? Oh, for that, sure. Okay. So I'm going to give you three answers. And they all sort of fit different lanes of daddom. Oh, I'm going to say like, excuse me, the first dad that comes to mind 
someone who I think is like the archetypal d- TV dad is Jack Arnold from the Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, I think he was overall a great dad. Grew up loving that show. So I think a lot, I think a lot of my conception of what it means to be a dad, good, good, both good and bad comes from him. I think the funny, I think one of the funniest dads on TV, and this is sort of a normie answer, but I think Phil Dunphy on Modern Family is pretty comical. And then I would say like the, the dad that I most would want to be like is Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Just to like him a lot, love that show, and think that not only his his role as a father in that in that series, but also his relationship with his wife is and his relationship with his work. I think both of those. I think all three of those are sort of interesting braids, interesting threads, and in a, in a larger braid of what it means to be a dad working in the world in relationship to other members of their family. So those are those are the three dads that come to my mind. I'm sure I'll think of another one here when I get off the phone. I would say, I would say not Walter White from Breaking Bad. <laughs> I, would, I would say not, um, not the father in succession. I, those are pretty easy downvotes. But, but yeah, those are, those are the three dads that come to mind as both archetypal and aspirational fathers. I think I think those really meld into like being different aspects of father. It's like you want to be the the fun dad, like Phil, the wisdom yeah. of the Wonder Years, and then like that strong, like motivational or like leader type of Coach Taylor. Yeah, and those are just yeah, just add sure. those three together. She's <laughs> like the perfect dad, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, for sure. That, that's those are great answers. And, yeah, definitely th- three I enjoyed for sure. Cool. Well, so, Ethan, thanks so much for having yeah. me on. Thank, thank you so much, fun. Adam. I want to thank Adam for joining us today. His insight on you know being a role model for your kids and just being in a industry where you're always on the clock, always needing to be there, and how to manage that is so important to all of us as we manage our work-life balance and everything that goes on in our lives if you enjoyed this episode please go tell a friend or go on social media and tell all your followers about everything we're doing here indie dads you can follow us on instagram twitter facebook and tiktok at indie dads podcast and you can also connect with us at indiedadspodcast.com You can leave us a voicemail or an email there and let us know if you have advice, if you want to be on the show, or you want to just tell us a dad joke. We love that you're a part of the community and we keep growing and we keep becoming stronger and better dads because a dad's work is never done.